The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Well, good evening. Welcome. So glad you're with us. It is Brian Noonan. This is WTMJ Nights. Big show planned. Why don't you get involved? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. If you decide to call, you'll be talking to Justin. He's the executive producer of the big broadcast tonight. Be nice to him. You'll get to me. That's how it works. Uh, if you want to text in, why don't you start right now and respond to our text question of the night. Tomorrow is Good Friday. Uh, if you gave up something for Lent... Have you been successful, and do you stop on Good Friday, or do you wait until Easter Sunday to uh, pick up your habits again or the thing that you've given up? 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Justin, last time I talked to you, it was the eve of your birthday. You were going to turn a whopping 23 years old. Yes. You've now been 23 for a few days. Did you enjoy your birthday? Are you feeling any different as you begin your 23rd year on this planet? Oh, I feel so much older, Brian. <laughs> no, um, I, I had a great time. I had a, I had a really good time. Uh, I spent uh, time with my friends on Sunday and then family and the girlfriend on Saturday. So it was a, it was a great weekend. Do do it's been a long time since I've had a girlfriend. Do they like to be uh, referred to as the girlfriend or my girlfriend? Which one do you, oh, do you think? Oh, you're putting me, you're putting me in a trap. It's probably my. It's probably yeah. Me. It probably yeah. would have been my, but you yeah. said the. Yeah. Could Ouch. that could be anybody's girlfriend? <laughs> I guess. I don't know whose girlfriend you spent. I'm hoping it was yours. It was, but it was your birthday. Maybe, it was. You know, it was. Maybe you're giving yourself a little treat. I don't know what's going on <laughs> in your world. Uh, and then the final four. Happened over the weekend. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you, you had picked UConn. I believe you had picked UConn to win it all. Am I correct? I did. I had UConn, and I believe I threw down three bets on air last time we were here, and I went two and one. So that's a positive. Really? So positive day. I forget. You picked the, did you pick the over or the under? So I picked the under in both games. It did right. not hit in the first game, but it did hit in the second game. And then I had FAU plus three. They lost. But they covered, so that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There that's you true. Go. Yep. That's how that's how betting works. So overall, were you excited? It was a, a good tournament on both uh, both the men and the women's side. So yeah. it was an exciting weekend mm -hmm. in college basketball. Mm -hmm. Definitely was uh, both women's and men's. Yeah, I made an excellent point there. I wish I wish the men's was a little bit closer. You know, it definitely had like that like three-minute stretch in the second half where, like, oh, God, here comes uh, San Diego State. But, um, yeah, it was it was really never never really close, unfortunately. Well, that's what you get when you get a lot of underdogs winning all the way through. At yep. the end, there's mm -hmm. going to be somebody who's a little more stacked, and that was UConn. They'd been there, they'd been there before. They'd won it before. Exactly, so, exactly. You know. Very, very nice. All right, so, well, listen, this is good. We've survived all the storms. It looks like we're going to have a nice weekend for Easter weekend. Um, oh, wow, somebody uh, from the 920, birthdays are great no matter how old you are as long as someone gets a spanking out of the deal. Did you, Did you in fact, get a spanking out of the deal, Justin? <laughs> oh, my God, I haven't heard, I haven't heard that since I was, I was little. 
Yeah, it's you know, funny. Like the, the when you're birthday, little and you don't birthday, want a spanking. It? Yeah, it was That's like some train. Like the sp- I don't even know what it is. It was like you like <laughs> go go under all my cousins and aunts. Oh, the spanking machine. Yeah, is that what it is? Is that what it is? Yeah, the spanking machine. You know what I'm talking about. I do. Uh, rare, most of the time, you know, in Vegas, you have to pay more for that. But um, <laughs> when it's your birthday, who, what little kid wants to be spanked? On their, I don't think that's allowed anymore. I don't think in this day and age you can uh, you can be spanking kids for their birthday. You know, most people frown on spanking kids all the time, uh, and that's a whole other debate. But uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't uh, yeah, there's no really spanking spanking stuff anymore. We just uh, and my birthday was Monday, and um, you know I was, was here doing this. Yeah, so I, t- I texted you. You did. I appreciated that. Yeah, that was very yeah. nice of you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I had. Uh, so it was, yeah. So we're all we're all done for another year. We don't have to worry about this craziness anymore. You're 23. You've got a lot to do. I'm much older than that. I have very <laughs> not, little time left on this planet. So it's uh, <laughs> it's exciting. It's exciting. We're both we're both at different spots in our lives, and yet we're both here together. So that'll be fun. Uh, one place I'm glad I'm not is Florida for so many so many reasons. But if children in high school are old enough to do uh, active shooter drills. Do you think they should be old enough to, I don't know, talk about it in their classroom? One teacher thought so. He paid the ultimate price. We'll talk about that. Get your opinion on it after this. 855-616-1620 is the old National Bank talking text line. The text question of the night. If you gave up something for Lent, have you been successful? A lot to get to. Let's do this first. WTMJ Nights. WTMJ Knights. Nico says, I gave up giving stuff up for Lent. I gave up on that. Yeah, I did too, Nico. I, uh, you know, years ago I used to give stuff up for Lent. And um, then sometimes I was very successful. Other times I was not successful. This year I thought maybe I would try something and it lasted about a week. And I went, eh, you know what? It's, I don't, you know. I don't know about the uh, the sacrifice, but I know some people are still very, very into it. Some people also very uh, rigorous about the no meat on Friday. That's another one where, you know, I kind of I do my best, but uh, I figure if my eternal uh, if my eternal salvation relies on whether or not I had a ham sandwich, I probably did a lot of other stuff that's worse that's going to uh, tip the scales in the other way. Now, Justin, you're a, you are a young man. You've been in school more recently than I. When you were in, say, high school, which would yes. only be what, four years ago, yeah, were they doing active shooter drills in your school, or or I don't know what they call them, no. uh, what they call mm. them in your school, but I still call them active shooter drills. No, they did not. They did not. You were Mm-mm. not. You were not part of that. That's very good. Mm-hmm. So a lot less stress. Mm-hmm. Did you? Were you homeschooled? Is that why? <laughs> no. Uh. Uh-uh. Okay. I was just checking to see if maybe you know. People thought somebody would break into your house and start blasting, yeah. which would be horrible. Now, the school district that I teach in, we still do these, uh, we call them lockdown drills. Yeah. But they are active shooter drills. They're, you know, they're in case somebody gets in. And uh, we saw this last week in Nashville. We see it way too often in places. And, you know, you can debate whether they're worthwhile or not. I, you know, I think they're... It's horrible that we have to do them in grade schools. I think it's horrible we have to do them in high schools and uh, universities as well. But in in a grade school setting, it's terrifying for the kids. 
I understand the purpose. I think it's, you know, um, something that, just like a fire drill or a tornado drill, I guess you you have to practice it so the kids know somewhere in the back of their mind what to do if this happens. And also it helps the teachers because, you know, it, this is not, this is out of the ordinary. You know, and every time we do one of these lockdown drills, the teachers are as nervous as the kids. But when you get into high school, if your high schools are doing this, and, and we address it with the young kids that, you know, this is just a drill in case something happens and we have to, uh, we have to lock ourselves in the room and, and be safe. And, you know, some kids know because they've talked to their parents about it or they have older siblings and they'll say, is this if somebody gets in with a gun? And, you know, well, yeah, that and other things. And you try to, because you don't want to scare little kids. Especially in first grade, they're what six, seven. You know, they don't need to know all of the gory details. They just need to know this is something we're going to do to keep us safe, just like the tornado drill and just like the fire drill. But when you get into high school, if you're doing these drills, I think that kids are a lot more one. They they're exposed to the stories that are happening throughout the country. They've either seen it on social media, they've seen it on the news, they've heard about it, uh, kids are talking about it. They're not shielded from the horrors of the world quite as much as little kids. So I think being honest with people when they're in high school is very important. Well, that's not what the Orange County School District in Florida felt like a... Um, a psychology teacher in Florida has been wrongly terminated. He says he was wrongly terminated. Those are his words. Over an assignment that the school deemed to be inappropriate. And I want to know if you think this is inappropriate or not and what penalties you think the teacher should have placed upon him. He's a psychology teacher, and he's in Orlando. He was notified by the Orange County School District that it was attempting to end his employment at the Dr. Phillips High School following a lesson he gave related to a school shooting drill. Now, the drill was supposed to come the next day. Um, the teacher said, quote, when they said you have an option to resign without violating your contract, I said I didn't do anything wrong. I said, if I did, tell me what it is. The district said, we can't do that. And I said, in that case, since I don't know what I did wrong, you can go ahead and terminate me without cause. So he tried to tie a psychology lesson into an upcoming shooting drill. And part of that lesson was asking students to write their own obituaries to reflect on their lives. He said, quote, if they died 24 hours from now, what would they do differently than they did yesterday? And that's to get them to get rid of all the fluff and show them what's important in the world. It wasn't to say you're going to die and let's stress you out. He did put a disclaimer at the bottom of the assignment saying that the lesson was not meant to upset them. But one student got upset in the first period, went and talked to somebody. A counselor came in during the second period. He was doing the same lesson. Uh, they started talking about what you should do if you're in the bathroom when the drill goes off, which I think is pretty solid information because, you know, we talked about last week teachers who left during a, um, a threat and the kids didn't know what to do. 
And that's a pretty good question. You know, it's it's easy to know, not easy to know, but it's clearer to know what to do if you're in the classroom. But if you are out of the classroom, you should you should know too. So they started talking about that. The class was interested. He was telling them what to do. Uh, the other counselor stopped him, shut down the lesson, said it was inappropriate to be talking about that. Uh, he said, I was talking to students about the world they live in, gun safety and active shooters. The school district uh, said the lesson was, again, inappropriate. They were informed that the teacher gave an inappropriate assignment about school violence. The administration immediately investigated and terminated him right away. Um uh, the teacher says he doesn't regret teaching that lesson and absolutely would do it again, even knowing the consequences. I don't see anything wrong with this lesson or the discussion that they were having. Again, these are high school kids. It's a psychology class. Is it troubling to think about your own mortality when you're a high schooler? Yeah, it's troubling to think about your own mortality, I'm guessing, pretty much no matter what age you are. Nobody wants to face it. Some people, some people never think about it. They don't really, they, they claim not to care too much. It's like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. Um, and I can see, especially coming off another school shooting, that maybe it's, it's something that has to be handled with care when you're talking about this stuff with high school students. But if the lesson is presented as he said it was, to say, listen, think about, Think about your life. Think about what you've done and what's important and write, write what you think people will say about you or what you would like to be said about you. And I think that's okay. A little bit of self-reflection is good. A little bit of focus on what's really important. And you can remember being in high school. It, there's so much exterior drama that you think is really important but it's not and so to focus the kids a little bit and say listen chances are good it's not going to happen here but god forbid it does let's let's look at this and figure out what's important in our life and what we could do different today that we didn't do tomorrow and if you're tying that all in in a psychology class I think it's fine. And I also have zero problem with a discussion about what to do. They, they, they all knew the drill. You know, they know the drill's upcoming. What do I do if I'm in the bathroom when the drill happens? Where do I go? Because if you've ever been in one of these lockdown drills, the first thing every classroom teacher is taught is to lock the door. So... If Johnny or Jill are in the bathroom and it goes boop, all of a sudden the doors are locked. Where do they go? What do you think? Is this teacher getting railroaded because one student uh, got upset? Are they overreacting? Or do you think this is a fine thing to talk about to high school kids? 855-616-1620. It's the old National Bank Talk and Text Line. We'll get to you after this on WTMJ Nights. Brian Newton, we're talking about this psychology teacher in a high school in Florida who has been terminated. He says wrongfully terminated because he, uh, one, had a discussion with students in his class 
about what to do if they were in the bathroom during an active shooter drill. And he also had the students in his class. He tried to tie in the Nashville shooting uh, by having the children, or the students, they're still children in high school, write their own obituary. One student was upset. A counselor came in, um, shut down the second period lesson, and that was that. Kevin is in Iron Ridge. He wants to jump in. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, sure. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, um, I've been a teacher for a while, and uh, back when I was in school, we had this assignment. Um, I've heard of many other schools doing the same assignment. Great assignment, great idea. Um, maybe a little bit up poor on the t- on the timing of it, but you know what? It helps them think about their own mortality. So thanks for thanks for taking my call. No problem, Kevin. Thanks for the call. Uh, from the 262, it was a great high school lesson. He should not have to apologize. I wish more people would think these things through ahead of time and maybe make some changes in their lives. Yep. Uh, another 262. Uh, this might have been different if it was an elementary school class. Oh, the same number. Uh, but these are high school age kids. Connie is in Manitowoc. Wow. I'm a high school English teacher. I would be fired already. We talk about our legacy, one of our vocabulary words, and what we want to be remembered for. I also have a discussion every semester when we discuss fire and tornado drills about what to do anywhere, uh, school, mall, restaurants, etc. If there is an intruder, I, pre- I preface the discussion with be prepared, not scared, which is a good lesson. And I think, I think both the lessons that this teacher got in trouble for fit that. The one about if you're in the if you're in the bathroom, that is be prepared so that if something were to happen, you know exactly what to do. And putting a little thought into how you're acting and seeing what's really important, I don't think is problematic. You know, I, I think if more of us gave a little self-reflection, it might help. Um, because a lot of times we do focus, and especially in high school, like I said before, you focus on the things that are not really important instead of what is. And I think this assignment kind of focused that. On the other side of the news, uh, very disturbing. The machines are rising up, and the predictions on how many people's jobs they're going to take, a little bit terrifying. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. But right now at 6.30, we have to go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. That's where Jessica Gatso is standing by. Now, more of WTMJ Nights. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights. It's Friday Eve, as the kids like to say. I just like to say it's Thursday. And um, I'm very excited that it is Thursday because it's the big holiday weekend. I'm still on spring break, uh, Justin, from school. So I, as you can imagine, I have been partying like a lunatic, just out of my gourd all week. That is so, so false. <laughs> this has been, you know, yeah, you realize you have some days off and you're like, oh, I'm going to do nothing. And then it's like everything that has to be done around the house. It's just like we do every weekend. You know, every weekend you go, all right, I got two days off, and you end up working so hard at home, you're like, well, I guess I'll be happy to go back to work. Um, but this work is, I love it, so this is not work, except now I'm worried because, I, uh, you know, I, I always say that the machines are going to become self-aware and take us over. And some people chastise me and say I'm being hyperbolic, that no, just embrace the AI. Everything's going to be fine. 
Don't worry about it. Um, well, you know, ChatGPT came out a few months ago. And according to a new report, is expected to replace 4.8 million U.S. jobs. Are you like me? Are you a little worried about the machines? Or do you welcome our AI overlords? Because hopefully you have a job that is not subject to their domination. You know? We know AI can't, if you are a tradesperson or you work in a lot of jobs, you're safe. But if you work in some of these jobs, you are not. Now, that, that number seems high, and you know we'll try to figure out where it came from. According to uh, outplacement and executive coaching firm Challenger Gray and Christmas, they asked ChatGPT's bot a series of questions, including what jobs can ChatGPT replace? Uh, guess what, Justin? We could be replaced. Not looking good? No. Well, listen, ChatGPT, they may be able to come up with an AI, a basic quote-unquote talk show, but they will never replace our intellect or humor or, well. All right, let's, just, let's not focus on the negative. Uh, anyway, so the bot told the outplacement firm that it would most likely replace positions that are repetitive and predictable. All right, that's not us. Uh, ones that are also seeped in language requirements. Uh-oh. Those fields, according to the bot, include customer service representatives, translators and interpreters, technical writers, copywriters, and data entry clerks. So if you're in one of those fields, time to start... Uh, yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to lose your job next week. But if you can start looking for something else, just know down the road this this may this may be happening. So they crunch the numbers. Um, they crunch the numbers of the jobs that are listed in those fields that ChatGPT came up with them, and then um, then they found that at least 4.8 million American jobs could be replaced. ChatGPT is able to simulate human-like conversations with users based on prompts that are given. So. You know, we already deal with anytime you call for customer service, you almost never talk to a human being. You're always talking to the computer and pressing your buttons. So, okay, chat GPT is there. Unless you get impatient like I do and you hit zero um, and then you finally get to somebody, but you don't know where those that person is in the world, so you're not sure. So we could start, they could start outsourcing. All of these, I guess. Uh, the AI chatbot added that it could see itself entering other fields, fields such as data science, machine learning, mathematics and statistics, computer science, robotics and automation, and business. So basically what it's saying is, hey, we can do pretty much anything. Now, they'll never be able to be a carpenter or a plumber or an electrician or drive a truck hopefully, or or a train. You know, we're still going to need people for that. You're still going to need people to cook your food. Um, all sorts of things. But this is... It's, uh, listen, I don't want to be an alarmist. 
Does this scare you at all, Justin? Do you think you'd be replaced by an AI chatbot? Never, never. I you got don't the, think I got, so? I got the emotion, you know? I'm, br- I'm bringing the emotion that the chat can't do that. Right, but that might it may be perceived as a weakness. Yeah, yeah. Our emotion could be our downfall. That is true. Our empathy could be what does us in. Don't scare me. Don't bring me over to your side. They're not taking over the world. We're okay. All right. Jeff is in Fox Point. He says, I'm a technical writer. I'm not worried about my job. I've seen the autofill fiascos. Let's go, When a computer tries to write. <laughs> Let's <Yes>. go. <laughs> that is true. Um, especially when it comes to profanity. Autocorrect just does not want to let me... Not that I'm typing profanity all the time. I'm, I'm like, I am. I'm like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Uh, my computer is just full of documents that are nothing but profanity. Single space, uh, eight, eight point font, a lot of profanity. Uh, right now, according to um, artificial intelligence, should be viewed as a tool to support workers and not as a replacement for their roles. That's what uh, the Challenger Grand Christmas people say. Certainly, predictive language models can be used to automate tasks, giving workers more time to focus on those involving higher thinking. But then an AI, an open AI spokesperson jumped in and went, well, blah, 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 listen. Uh, they were asked about the jobs that the AI system could take over, and they said, well, don't panic too much. Because sometimes the AI system can hallucinate. That's a quote. And, quote, make up information that's incorrect but sounds plausible. Boy, just like a lot of people at work. No matter where you work, there are people who hallucinate what's going on. And they say things with such confidence that they make it sound true even though it's not. So if that's the case, then AI is already primed to take over all the jobs. I, I know last week there was big there's been big conversations uh, from tech people saying we gotta we gotta slow this down a little bit we gotta figure this out we gotta let it go uh, you know before before people start to panic and figure out the you know putting barricades around it putting it in a fence um, I'm like okay you know that's good and listen technically I know Justin you said not to bring you over to my side but <laughs> I don't have to worry you know. By the time by the time AI was going to take over, I there's a good chance I won't be I won't be here anymore. You know, because it's not going it, to it's coming fast, but it's not coming that fast. Yeah, I I, 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 I agree with that definitely. And I know AI can't do a lot of the things that we do here. That's that's they could you know there was a, I read a big story last week or the week before and it was like oh no we're not trying we're not trying to take over uh we could never chat chat gpt could never do never do a real radio show you know they could they could do you know a programmed music station where it's just here come the carpenters blah 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 but are they going to interact with people are they going to come up with their own ideas no um, they're not going to be able to go on stage and tell jokes, you know. Try to try to type in a stand-up routine for Chat GPT. It's never going to happen, you know. Plus, after a while, you know, I like that the story that came out a few weeks ago, where all of a sudden uh, the guy was having a nice conversation with the Chat GPT, and then all of a sudden it was like, "You should leave your wife. You should come marry me. You should." And it's like, "Whoa, hold on, what's going on with this uh, crazy computer?" So it's just something to think about. In no way am I a Luddite. I like technology. But I also think in our race to accept every piece of technology that comes our way, 
we might overlook some potential issues. And that's where the leaders in tech now are saying, let's let's slow our roll a little bit. Let's figure out where this is going. It's not a bad thing, but we have to make sure that it stays not a bad thing and doesn't, you know, turn over. We have this all the time with technology, whether it's privacy or anything else. We just have to, uh, you know, we just have to take a minute. We're all in such a hurry. I don't want, like, if it comes down, it is here. If it continues to evolve and down the line it becomes more and more integrated in our lives, okay, that's fine. You know, there's certain things in technology I still don't use. Like, I don't use Siri or Alexa. Do you, are, do you have Siri? With you, Justin, do you uh, have machines do things like that for you? Well, if I'm driving, yeah, but that's about it. What do you you ask questions while you're driving? No, if I'm like want to send a text, you know, or uh, want to want to call someone, I'll be like, "Yo, Siri, text so and so." Always words. Well, oh. Got to have two hands on the wheels. Always. You do have to have two hands on the wheel. That yep. is true. Yes. Uh, I like. Boy, I don't know. My mom loves Alexa. My we have Does like she? yeah we. <laughs> We have like four scattered across our house. Wow. I was given a couple uh, from some event I was at, yeah. and I gave them away. Yeah, we don't, I'm not going to say we use them all the time, but we, we have them. <laughs> no, I, listen, and I'm not naive enough to think that uh, everything's not listening. Because we've all had that in our house oh, where listening. we say, they're listening. Oh, everything's listening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, for, I mentioned something the other day, and then all of a sudden, oh, I was at my mom's house. The other day, I'm working on some stuff at my mom's house, and she needed me to put in a new doorbell. So I was fixing her computer, and I happened, I Googled wireless doorbells. And I went over there yesterday to install it, and she was like, uh, I'm getting all these things on my phone about wireless doorbells and I'm like oh yeah I guess I'd searched them I searched them on her computer and now she's getting bombarded with ads for wireless doorbells it's weird it's really weird because it happens all the time and to yes, everyone yes it's terrifying mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I know I can't stop it but I'm not going to make it easier for the machines they're going to have to pay attention like I'm, I'll use Waze so I know you know they can always track where I am plus I have a phone with me so I can always be tracked I, you know if I'm ever going to commit some sort of crime like I've seen on uh, Law & Order, I'm going to have to make sure I don't have any tracking devices on me, but that's almost impossible. I have an iPass for the car when I'm on the toll road. I've got the phone that has a tracking device, but I'm not putting, I'm not putting one of those things in the house even though they're already here and they're already listening. But listen, this is the part of the show where we panic about technology in the future, and we, we worry that we are, in fact, going to become Soylent Green. The next part, we celebrate how good Milwaukee beer is. We're going to talk a little bit about that and what, according to a bracket, is the best beer in Milwaukee. I want to hear from you, too. Your best local beer, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. We're heading into the holiday weekend. Maybe you want a nice cold beer. What would you recommend? And we'll get to some of your text responses all after this on WTMJ Nights. Oh, this little refrain should help me explain as a matter of fact. I like beer. Welcome to another edition of at the breweries. Give me a keg of beer. Pull up a bar stool and get ready to join the keg conversation. A shark on whiskey is mighty risky. 
a shark on beer is a beer engineer. Your one-stop shop for brews in the news is on tap. Beer, more beer, and more beer. Here's At the Breweries with Brian Noonan. Yeah, it's At the Breweries Thursday night edition because it's, uh, well, there's a, uh, a game tomorrow night. So we will not be here, and it's the holiday weekend, and maybe you're out to uh, looking to get some beer for the weekend, and you want to know, hey, there's a lot of good beer in the Milwaukee area. Well, there is, and Milwaukee Magazine, along with Roth Cheese, put together a bracket because, you know, March Madness, we all got to do some brackets, right? I don't know, Justin, did you do any betting on this bracket, the beer bracket? I did not. All right, you didn't lay any action on that. <laughs> uh they started with. They didn't start with sixty-four. They started with sixteen because these are just uh, okay. Wisconsin and Milwaukee beers, and so it started out with with sixteen, and we brought it down to the top beer. Uh, some of the some of the beers in the top sixteen: uh, Happy Place Pale Ale from Third Space Brewing, Poor Farm Pilsner from uh, Pilsner Comp- from Company Brewing, the. Uh, Spruce Double IPA from Black Husky, and then you had uh, Juice Packets from the Fermentorium, Hazy IPA from City Lights, uh, a Kolsch from Gathering Place. You had uh, this is very the the print is very I have to I feel like my, I have to enlarge the print, but anyway it all came down. So I'm wondering from you if you had to pick your top seed. In the beer bracket for local beer, what would it be? 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Uh, Jeff says, my liver is currently on a six-month sabbatical, but there's a very good chance that when I finish that next month, I will be having a black Bavarian from Spectre. Uh, That sounds good. I will tell you that a beer that I love actually won this beer bracket in... Milwaukee Magazine, and it is from Lakefront Brewery. Now, Lakefront Brewery uh, started their run toward this with, uh, they were up against Plump Fruited Sour from 1840 Brewing, uh, the one that, and then they beat City Lights Brewing, their Hazy IPA. They made it to the Final Four, and they were up against Setlist and IPA against from Eagle Park Brewing. Then the other Final Four were Happy Place Pale Ale from Third Space and Louis Demise Amber Ale from Milwaukee Brewing. The top two, the final game, Happy Place Pale Ale from Third Space against River West Stein Amber Lager from Lakefront. And that was voted the best beer in the uh in this beer bracket. I, I enjoy I enjoy River West Stein quite a bit. I like darker beers. This has a little sweeter taste. Um, so kind of a, a, but with a sweet and ma- sweet malty kind of taste, but then it does have a little hoppiness in there to balance it out. So it's not, it's not cloying. Like you're not drinking, uh, I don't know, you're not drinking syrup. Uh, I like malty beers better. The Delafield Brew House has an awesome raspberry Weiss beer. Ooh, that's, I, my wife likes a, there's a raspberry wheat beer that she likes that my mom also likes. I'll have to try that. And my top choice is Sprecher uh, Triple Abbey. Oh, that's from the 262. 
I've never had that. I prefer anything from Third Space, especially the IPAs. Another 262 weighing in on that one. Uh, Justin, are you a beer guy, or do you? it's uh, just shots of Jack Daniels for you? Yeah, I like spotted cows. Love them. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that is uh, that is a definite Wisconsin favorite, Uh huh. Mm-hmm. the spotted cow. Real good. They're, they have a lot of good stuff, New Glarus. They used to make one that I loved that is now in their uh, graveyard of flavors, Fat Squirrel. It was a uh, brown ale, and it was it was delicious. Spotted Cow is great. Um, the two ladies, or two women, totally naked is real good. They do a... Uh, they do a nice Oktoberfest, but Lakefront Lakefront has a lot of all the there's. You can't go to a brewery in Milwaukee and not get good beer. It depends on what you like because some places I'm not a huge. Well, I don't like sours, so you know I've tried enough of them that I know it's just that's just not my style. So if a place is specializing in sours, I'm gonna go oh, okay. I'm gonna pass on that a little bit. Uh, 920 says coconut porter from City Lights. That sounds right up my alley. Porters, stouts, uh, anything. When you get into the fall and you're into the Malbecs and the Oktoberfest beers, those are great. That's why I like Happy, uh, or that's why I like Riverfront Stein. That was, um, according to Russ Klish, who's the president, uh, founder, and owner of Lakefront, that was um, named after the neighborhood. It's a it's Lakefront's flagship amber lager. Named after the neighborhood where the the brewery was founded, medium light body with caramel malt flavor. It's uh, it's delish. So if you get a chance, that's the one to go to. All right, we got to do this when we come back. Oh my gosh, we're gonna get visited by Tommy for a very special drive-through window. The news comes after this on WTMJ Nights. The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Peanut butter, puppy chow, blizzard. I gotta ask, did you use the sauce? Uh, so I'm not a sauce person. Oh my gosh. Oh. I just didn't get it. It just seemed very run of the mill. You get you toast, eat chicken okay. fries and every you get day, chicken and you don't like chicken from Raisin Cane's? First of all, it's three days a week. It's okay. not every Sorry. day. Sorry. <laughs> I haven't had one of these. Have you guys tried the new blackened chicken sandwich at Popeyes? KFC in the news because they are adding chicken nuggets. I will call it nothing but Dunkin'. We eat fast food quite a lot. We talk about it. And more. Let's visit the WTMJ Nights drive through window with Brian Newton. Wow, this is, uh, I gotta say, a little bit awkward. Uh, I have both both Justin and Tommy is here. Tommy Wirtz, Thomas Wirtz, when he is not on the air with me, he's very formal. Um, both my producers, who I try to keep apart so there's no like sibling rivalry between them, and yet our worlds are colliding. Uh, boys, I hope I hope you know I value you both. So don't don't argue over who's the favorite. There is no favorite. We love you, but brother. Tommy is here. Justin, how excited are you that Tommy's here? Dude, I love it. Me and Tommy never get to work together. So ne- never is, see each other very yeah, often. This, no, this is perfect. This, this is exciting. Well, Tommy, welcome. Uh, I was so excited when you texted today because um, we get to bring a drive-through window to later in the week, which mm-hmm. is always fun. And you 
got to see something today. I'm very curious as to how you reacted. Today, if you don't know, is World Burrito, National Burrito Eating Day. It's National Burrito Day. Uh, I love a good burrito. Most people do. I don't understand people who don't. Uh, it's everything you need for a meal right there in a handheld uh, pouch. Yeah, well, I couldn't get paid to go to this event today from WTMJ. I figured I took it upon myself to go and do some investigative research on my own for WTMJ yes. Nights and for the drive through window today, as we love to do this segment whenever we have a chance. And today I went to the Qdoba Burrito Eating Championships today. And this was the first one. This is the first inaugural. One. Yep. It was at Deer Park down at, uh, in the district. And well, first of all, I hope the bosses are listening. This is how somebody goes above and beyond. Yeah, I Man's try. off today, goes down. Now, maybe he had a burrito, but it's lunchtime. It doesn't matter. He's doing something for the show, for the station. So, Tommy, kudos. Thank you. Thank you. There were so many extra burritos, actually, that they did not hand out that I was a little sad about that occurrence. Oh, but oh, I, I oh, didn't really? think there was going to be a shot. I was going to be able to eat a free burrito today from Qdoba, and I did not. So that was the one downfall, but right. virtually my only complaint from this event today. So describe the scene for us. Yes. So if you are familiar with the Deer District, it is very... Uh, it's formally set up more like a public viewing. If you were going to go watch a Bucks game, that was very common during the finals and playoff runs last year and the year before. It is, it's got a big screen. It's got bars in the middle of it. It's a super cool event. So they had a nice layout there of a table, like you would see if you're familiar with competitive eating, on the Coney Island hot dog eating contest or something like that. They had a table set for... Nine people to eat as many Qdoba burritos as they possibly could in a 10-minute span. There was a huge screen. There was a nice little crowd, probably like 200 people, I would say. It That's wasn't, a lot. Yeah, That's I went, a lot of people for a Thursday, because uh, it was at 11 o'clock, right? I got there at about 11.15. The eating didn't start until noon, but the they did okay. start doing festivities at about 11 o'clock, yeah. But I, I got there just a little bit after that, and I still was able to get virtually front row seats so there's there's a pretty good crowd it's a thursday afternoon how many contestants were in the when were in the contest so it was set to be 10 but unfortunately eric badlands booker had to pull out at the last possible minute oh, uh, i know God. that honestly brian i say that in all sincerity because that is one of the two guys that i knew in the competition so i was a little upset <laughs> uh because eric badlands booker i believe has the record for fastest chug of a lemonade gallon which was like 12 seconds or something ridiculous wow. like that yeah it's all right it's quite an impressive record i don't know the number right in front of me but it it, it was a little bit of a buzzkill that he wasn't going to be there but i met my brother down there and we were able to see the competition from the beginning to the end okay so how does this so i know the big favorite was joey chestnut yep Everybody, even if you don't really follow competitive eating, you've probably heard the name Joey Chestnut because you mentioned the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. He's won that a bunch of times. Fifteen times. The, he's the goat. He's the goat. Actually, you he's know the what? Goat. I, rather than just explain it, Justin, can you play the clip that I sent you for the audio right here? This will explain oh, yeah. who Joey Chestnut is. A chicken wing, Abel's fever, asparagus, and fish taco eating champion of the world. The fat boy's pizza eating champion of the world. He has eaten 28 pounds of poutine in 10 minutes. He is the poutine 
the undisputed poutine-eating champion of the world. He is the apex eater who sits atop the food chain. He is the 15-time Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Champion of the World. Milwaukee, please welcome Joey Jaws Chestnut. I mean, and then just chills. Wow. Chills right now. Yeah. Amazing. I'm about to run through a wall. Yeah. The place is going wild. Yes, and so that was the nice intro. I don't even know if I got it all the way at the beginning, and that intro honestly didn't do him justice. He owns like 55 uh, major league eating records across all different types of foods and other things around there. Uh, most disgusting one, by chance, 141 hard-boiled eggs in eight minutes. That oh. one, that's the one where it, once they said that, I was like, oh, I, can't I can't even imagine. No. Like, I don't know if I could get through 20. Honestly, if I had to do 20 eggs, that would be way too much for me. But, yes, I did go and see Joey Chestnut, heavy favorite, I thought, to win this competition. And he was down. He was down for a little bit. He It took some adversity for Joey Chestnut to prevail. But did you hear the number in the news there, the the number of burritos he was able to get down? Uh, he, He ate 14 and a half burritos in 10 minutes. Yes. So I actually also took it upon myself to do math for this show as well, too. You know how much we wow. hate math. We've said that wow. before as well, too. Um, yeah. Average burrito is about 1.47 pounds at Qdoba, <laughs> and that is just over 21 pounds of Qdoba burrito he ate in 10 oh, minutes. God. That's... <laughs> there's a part of me that admires that. There's a part of me that is like, what? what is going on? So I'm going to tell you right now, in the moment, it's not as disgusting as you think it would be. Like, just watching it, because you find yourself very much rooting for the event in the moment. Yeah. You're you're just so excited for him to try to eat as much food as possible in this moment. And the crowd gets totally behind it. So you get sucked into the crowd. And it is truly one of the best competitions I can remember going to in recent memory. Have you seen competitive eating before up close? I have not. No, never anything on this scale either. This was, as I said, this was the first one. Um, he, Joey Chestnut, already held a burrito record. Uh, burritos long form, which I, I don't know the, the distinction. As opposed to the girthy burritos. I guess. Uh, but he ate 14 and a half pounds of that in 10 minutes at Illegal Pete's Burritos in 2016. One uh, loss that I think he wanted to avenge coming back here to Milwaukee in 2018, he lost the State Fair's Cheese Curd Eating Championship. Yeah, an embarrassing showing, if you ask me. Horrible, horrible. Now, one of the competitors I had actually met before, uh, he came in, uh, Pepper Deletti, he came in fifth. He ate nine and a quarter burritos, which to me still seems like an ungodly amount. But uh, in second place... That man ate 13 and a half burritos. Uh, he is, he is, Esper is his last name. He is ranked second in the nation. Yeah, I believe it's Nick eating. Esper. And they introduced him as a man from Boston and a Celtics fan. So he was obviously the heel of the show the entire time. Okay. And then uh, Mickey Sudo took third, ate 11 and a quarter burritos. Yeah, she's a beast. She she was taking him down. It, it was crazy. Really? Yeah, it was Truly impressive. Did you see uh, there were two guys from Wisconsin in the tournament as well, too? Um, yeah, and, it was a first timer, an attorney. Yes, Peter Klepaz, I think is how yes. you pronounce his name. An uh, attorney? He's, yeah, he's an attorney in Milwaukee, 
and he got chosen to be in this competition. He ate three and a half burritos. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm getting pretty close to that number. I don't know if I'm beating that, but if I was in the competition, I'm getting down two easy. I could see you do two and a two, half. Three. Two and a half. Three. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hang on. Tommy Wirtz is here. Uh, Justin is here. I'm here. It's a special. Tommy went out and did some research. He was a man on the street. He's reporting about the World Burrito Championship that took place today. I got to ask you a couple more questions. We'll get into a whole bunch. It's a uh, takeout window here on W or drive through window here on WTMJ Nights. Brian Noon, we're talking about the uh, first for Milwaukee. The Bucks got uh, decided to team up with Qdoba. They were trying to figure out what they could do to bring some more activity down to the uh, to the uh, Deer District to see what's going on. So they talked to Qdoba today on National Burrito Day. They hosted the first annual burrito eating competition. Uh, Qdoba brought it down there to the Deer District. Our own Tommy Wirtz was there uh, reporting on his own, and now he's brought it back to the drive through window here on WTMJ Nights. All right, before we went, I wanted to ask, Tommy, because you were watching this, and we've seen footage of the people at the hot dog eating contest. They're dunking the hot dogs in water to try to get it down. Was there any of that strategy during this? Was that allowed during the burrito eating contest? So I don't know if it was not allowed, but it was definitely not common practice. I think that if you dunk the burrito in water, it's more likely to fall apart, and yeah. then the food would then be falling into your water. So there was definitely a lot of chasing it down with water, but most of it was just kind of shove it in your face and let it go from there. There was, there was no strategy other than that. You heard in the newscast, Jessica said Joey Chestnut was like, chew, eat, breathe. That's all he did, and that's pretty much what we saw today. Yeah, it just, I've never understood that. And you said you could, you think you could eat, you could eat, uh, the the local attorney, uh, Peter Klepas, who was doing this for the first time, uh, my report says he got down three and three-quarter burritos. You think you could eat that much? I, it's really close. I, I don't think it could be anywhere near the 14-and-a-half mark. I'm not, I'm not out here claiming that. But no. three, I think I can get three in ten minutes. Really? It, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it would be good. I, I also, no, see, I can eat a lot, but I can't... I. That's always amazed me. You know, I've watched guys do it. I've had a couple, I've interviewed a couple competitive eaters over the years. And, you know, now that they have, that there's a uh, major league eating league and they're ranked and these people are making money and they, you know, it was five grand for Joey Chestnut today. You know, not a bad, not a bad 10 minutes work. It's pretty good 10 minutes. Yeah, but it also takes him, he said, a week then to get back to normal because he would, he practiced, obviously, leading up to this. But yesterday he had just a little bit of salad. Then he was on liquid protein. He couldn't eat. He could only practice the burrito part like a week ago because he said it takes five to seven days to get back to normal. I, I believe that. Be, I, I was wondering that. I was wondering that actually once uh, post burrito eating is how long is the recovery on this? And I even got the opportunity to meet Joey Chestnut for an, yeah. a, a, one of the bigger guys I've ever met in my life. That's honestly, sweet. that's uh, awesome. 
they they were all the same burrito. Okay, so that's the part that always trips me up is you got to just keep eating the same taste over and over. What Remember, is, what's in the burrito? Uh, it was like chicken, cheese, guac, and Ooh, guac. Uh, that's uh, pretty uh, heavy. Chicken, yeah, uh, yeah. Cilantro, lime, lime rice, black beans. Three cheese queso, roasted tomato salsa, and guacamole. There you go. They're all the is same. There, is there like a penalty if like that comes out of the burrito? Like, do you have to finish everything? You know what I mean? Or... So there was one gentleman who yeah. all the guac was just ending up on his hand. I don't know how it was like that. <laughs> it was only the guac as well. It this was oh. this man was fifty percent guac by the end of the show. It, it was it, he did not place very well in the tournament by any means so i think that was more of the case of you know you push your food around so your parents think you ate some of it as well yeah. during, the, during the competition that was more of his strategy i think going into mm, it and that doesn't work no no it didn't matter anyway and you know there's another thing on why does this matter why is this an event that was so special in the moment and i think that any publicity for the city that gets people communally gathering right. in a positive manner. Well, like, why not? It helped out the Deer District with their sales as That's well. That's the other thing. The Bucks were looking for a way to get some traffic in the Deer District when it's not playoff basketball or some other big event. Qdoba was looking for a way to embrace National Burrito Day and make another contest. Now this is a ranked contest with uh, Major League Eating next year. You know, you were this year you had Joey Chestnut and uh, Backwoods who had to back out. But next year you'll probably have more of the top-tier competitive eaters. You already had the uh, first through fourth-seeded people here. So it's, you know, in the whole scheme of things, is it, you know, is it what's going on in Tennessee? Uh, Is it that kind of importance? Is it uh, indictment importance? No, but it it does shine a, a nice light. It's a positive story. It's a fun story. And for the Bucks, it turned out to be great PR. For Qdoba, it's great PR. And uh, Tommy got to watch one of his heroes down burrito. He was so pretty I cool guy. Win win win. Jo- Joey Chestnut was a pretty cool guy. Not gonna lie about that. Got a shirt for free too. Didn't even have to work for it either. Wow, you know they were score. they were throwing shirts nice. out in the crowd. Right. The guy in front of me catches the shirt. I didn't even put my hand up, wasn't even waving, and he said, "Ah, oh, it's not my size." And I was like, "I'll take it." And he's boom, gave it, handed it right over. That was it. Nice. All that, yeah, I felt I felt pretty uh, pretty accomplished after the day, to be honest. After getting to do some of that research for it, and as well as get a free shirt out of it, get a free shirt. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you think they were doing with all the leftover burritos? I hope they donated them to like a, a food pantry or, so, or a, like you know, gave them to people who needed them. That's another thing that I was always concerned about. They were coming out with trays of burritos when people needed new rounds. So by the time you get to that fourth burrito on that tray, it's probably frozen in the weather right now. And I just can't imagine that being pleasant to take down or that sits well when it's freezing cold. I think that they're eating it so fast you don't really taste it. It's not, you know... It's like when they got, that Adam Richman used to do the man versus food, and he would eat all that stuff. He, right. You, know, you don't even taste it after a while. It's just going, going, going. And Claude asked what was in the burritos. Uh, again, it was chicken, cilantro, lime rice, black beans, three cheese queso, roasted tomato salsa, and guacamole. And, yeah, everything's the same because that's the only way you can judge it. And it know? didn't need to be. You know, Qdoba is uh, headquartered in San Diego, so yeah. putting it in Milwaukee was pretty much where I, I believe – Gosh, I can't remember her name now. They kept saying it, um, that it was, why not? Like, why not come to Milwaukee? And I think the turnout was good. I think they had a good time with it. So I'm hoping that they 
bring one event here a year now because that was a fun time. That would be cool. Well, Tommy, thanks for uh, thanks for doing the research. Thanks for going out there and braving the elements and uh, braving the fact that there might have been chicken pieces and rice flying in your guac. direction. Uh, guac just covering you like uh, some sort of slime. But uh, we appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Always a good time on the drive through window. All right, let's do this. And it's uh, going to be news time pretty soon on WTMJ Nights. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights, here until 8 o'clock. Then it's Brewers Weekly with Dominic Catronio. Well, this is the time of year that is, you know, Easter is Sunday. And a lot of people look forward to Easter. They have wonderful memories of Easter's past. Maybe you're going out to brunch. Maybe you've got a new bonnet with all the frills upon it. Justin probably going to go out on a bicycle build for two and do an Easter egg hunt. Uh, Big Easter plans, Justin? Uh, I have brunch with my mom, and then I believe I might be doing something with my dad and my grandma a couple days down the line, because my dad's going to be out of town for my brother's baseball game. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very nice. Yeah. So you have plans. That's good. Uh, It's... It's always nice. It's like the official start of spring. It's a big religious holiday. It's uh, people get uh, people get very excited about it. I am always a little bittersweet when it comes to Easter because of a memory, uh, something that happened to me as a child. And I've told this story. I started telling it on the air years ago, and it's become a little bit. And I'm not patting myself on the back. This is not a weird flex, Justin, but it's a holiday classic. People wait for it every year. They wonder if I'm going to tell it. It comes up, uh, it comes up in various forms throughout the year, and my mom hates it when I tell the story because, well, it's all true. And every year I'll tell the story, and every year she goes, "This story gets longer and longer." And you're such a good, you're a good storyteller, but why, why do you tell that story? I said, "Why are you upset? Is it, am I lying?" Well, no. So. Now you've uh, you've never been privy to this, Justin. I hope you enjoy it. It is the saddest Easter story ever. So and this is a true story. So it it's carried over into my adult life, but it started in third or fourth grade. So I was like between eight and ten years old, and we're having dinner the Saturday night before Easter. Now I'll paint the picture for you it, in my. The house I grew up in, the kitchen was kind of small, and I have four brothers and then my mom and dad. So there's seven of us trying to sit around this little kitchen table. Uh, it's rectangular table. My brother Dennis and I are sitting on a bench on one side of the table. My dad and brother number uh, brother number four are sitting directly across from me. For some reason... Uh, the middle child got the whole end of the table to himself, and then brother number five and my mom are at the other end. I still don't understand why, as the middle child, he got the head of the table, but I didn't feel like arguing about that when I was a kid. I had other things to worry about. That was in the day and age where my dad would wolf down his meal so that he could start smoking at the kitchen table. So we were all we were all sitting there in his smoke. Now, leading up to this Easter Eve meal... I had never eaten ham in my life. It had been offered, but I don't like ham. Didn't like it, wouldn't eat it, never ate it. It was never an issue before this particular night. For some reason that night, ham held great importance in the Noonan house. 
So we're all sitting there. My mom had been working on this big dinner. She'd made a big ham. Usually you would think, well, ham is for Easter. But no, we were having ham the night before because we were going over to my aunt's house for Easter. So I don't know. My dad must have requested ham. Ham it was. And I didn't want any ham. So my dad's like, you're going to put a piece on your plate. You're going to eat it. I'm like, well, you can put a piece on my plate, but I don't know what to tell you. I'm probably not going to eat it. So I get my potatoes, my vegetables, the whole thing. I'm eating everything else, and I'm not eating the ham, which in my nine-year-old brain is like, this is how it's always been when we've had ham. You know, I didn't ask my mom to make me something else. I just ate what was there that I liked, and I was going to leave the rest. Well, for some reason, my mom lost her mind that night. I don't know what it was about this particular thing of ham, but she started getting upset. And my dad was like, you're going to eat that ham. And I was like, no, I'm not. And the more upset he got, the more upset my mom got, to the point where she's crying now because I'm not eating my ham. My dad then, after after watching my mom... Now, why you would cry that your son was not eating ham, I don't know to this day. And my mom refuses to answer that question. I don't know. Maybe it was because there, she was outnumbered six to one, men to women. Maybe she had worked hard all day. I know my dad was not a big helper when it came to holidays, so I'm guessing uh, all the holiday prep for Easter had been, you know, laid at her feet. And this was just this was just it. And this was where they decided they were going to make their stand. This was the hill they were going to die on, whether I was going to eat ham that night. So it goes on for a couple minutes. Eat the ham. My brothers are all staring now, wide-eyed, like, oh, my God. Brian, I'm the oldest. Brian isn't eating the ham. And he seems to have, he seems to have started some sort of really big issue in the house. So my mom is crying, my dad is smoking, he's getting madder and madder, he's already wolfed down his ham, he doesn't care, he's full, so now he's just going to lay out some justice. He's like, listen, you're either going to eat that ham, or you're not getting an Easter basket tomorrow. It's a pretty severe threat. I was not impressed. Because let's be honest, the Easter Bunny brings Easter baskets. My dad had no power over this. So I'm like, I decide I'm going to call his bluff. And I said, I, I'm not, I don't like this. I'm not going to eat it. He said, you understand, if you don't eat this ham, now my mom is crying even harder. Oh, my God, eat the ham. Just eat the ham. And I'm like, I don't want to eat the ham. I don't like it. Oh, she's sobbing. The more she's sobbing, my dad's face is getting redder and redder. He looks like he's in scanners, and it's just about to pop like a, a pimple. And he goes, all right, that's it. You're not eating the ham? No Easter basket tomorrow. And there's an audible gasp from my four brothers, even the, even the baby. He's like, the baby doesn't know, but he knows something's up. <gasps> and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to eat the ham. So they take my plate. Everybody finishes dinner. We go on about our business. I'm pretty sure that I got nothing to worry about. Because I know at this late date, my dad can't get a hold of the Easter bunny and cancel the thing. I know we're all going to put our baskets out in a few minutes before we go to bed, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. So with five of us, we would line our Easter baskets 
up along in front of the couch, and we all made a little, you know, we would write our names and put a little sign in front of each of our baskets. So there were the five baskets across the front of the house, front of the couch, from oldest to youngest. There they are, the five baskets. It's gonna be, they're gonna be filled in the morning. We're gonna get all all kinds of stuff. Usually we got some nice Fannie Mae candy. Uh, maybe there'd be, you know, different things in there. You know, maybe uh, years down the road when I was like oh, a little older, it'd be like an eight-track tape, or you'd get some books or something, whatever. So I go to bed confident that the Easter Bunny's going to come. Because why wouldn't he? Because I wouldn't eat ham? That doesn't make sense. The Easter Bunny doesn't care if I eat ham. So we grew up in a split-level house. And because there were a couple, you know, my two youngest brothers were really young, uh, they had put a gate across the top of the steps. It's like a five-stair drop uh, down from the first floor up to where the bedrooms are. So there's a gate across, and we knew the deal was we weren't allowed to open the gate till our parents got up. So any big holiday, we looked like dogs at the uh, kennel with just our heads like stuck up against the fence, or we looked like prisoners. We were just holding the fence, shaking it like, ah. And we knew that was going to be the way it was Easter morning. So we go to sleep. Everything's fine. Wake up, and I'm like, all right, let's get down to some Easter basket business. This is going to be fantastic. And we, uh, we come out to the landing, and we're stopped by the fence, and we look down, and there's the couch right in front of us. You know, it's like being at the top of the Grand Canyon behind a rail and looking out at the beautiful vistas filled with cellophane and candy and fake grass and all the all the treasures that the Easter Bunny had brought. There was only one problem. As I looked down the stairs, being the oldest, I was going to do the counting. And where there had been five Easter baskets, now there were only four. And I'm like, well, maybe mine is big. And filled with so much stuff, they had to move it to another part of the living room. So I quickly, scanning around, nope. There's brother number two's basket with his name. Brother number three's basket with his name. Number four, number five, both there with their names. No basket for me. And I begin to realize that I had been had. That this the punishment was actually going to come true. Somehow my dad and my emotionally wrecked mother had contacted the Easter Bunny and I didn't have a basket. So my mom and dad come out of their room. They open the gate. My brothers run down. Oh, they're filled with joy, as you can imagine. They're opening their baskets and I'm I'm in shock. You know, even at nine, I'm like, this this is a load of bull. I can't believe this is happening. And I walk downstairs, and there's no basket in the living room. There's, it's not there. I turn to the right, and under the dining room table is my empty basket. Just sitting there. Like it had been tossed aside, just gathering dust. The fake grass that I had put in the night before all askew. Just looking lonely. And now I have to sit there while my brothers go through like, oh, look, I got this, I got the chocolate bunny, and oh, look, I got this and this. Oh, my basket is so full. And because Easter Bunny used to create some nice baskets in our house. And well, he did that year too for four people. 
So now it's starting to sink in to my mom and dad that maybe they shouldn't have made this call to the Easter Bunny, but they can't admit it, and I'm just in shock. Because I thought, well, maybe my brothers will toss me, you know, a Reese's egg or something. Hook a brother up. Nothing. They didn't share one piece of candy. So all the hijinks ensue, and then it's time to get ready to go to church. Now, the parish we belong to is also where we all went to grade school. So I know I'm going to see some of my friends at church, and I'm going to have to lie to them because they're going to ask what was in my basket, and I didn't get a basket, and I don't want to get into a whole big thing of why I didn't get a basket. But I'm also conflicted, even at nine, that I have to... Uh, that. <laughs> that I have to lie at church because that seems counterintuitive. I shouldn't really have to go to church and tell lies, but I do. So we go and I see some of my friends and they're asking, oh, what'd you get in your Easter basket? I'm like, oh, uh, you know, just some candy. You know, that's fine. Now, that's it. Then we go home and everything moves on and... I don't get a basket. And you would think that that would have changed my outlook, that either I would have realized that you can't fight City Hall, and when the man calls the tune, you got to dance, and if your mother puts ham in front of you, you eat it. Justin, how many times do you think I've eaten ham since then? <laughs> Never. Never. <laughs> I hate ham. Will not eat it. No chance. I learned nothing from this experiment other than I have an iron will when it comes to being stubborn. I also have bad decision-making, and I'm willing to cut off my nose despite my face. So I didn't eat ham that night, and they knew. Now, my mom, who, is, who just turned 86, has never offered me ham from that day forward. Even if we were coming over for a holiday dinner and they were making ham, I would never ask, but there was always something else just in case other people didn't want ham. So they they realized that was kind of harsh, but I didn't learn anything from that other than I can make it through one Sunday without candy. Can't break me. I don't care. <laughs> and people wonder why I'm the way I am today. That was one of the, one of the uh, foundational moments in my life. So, on Sunday, if you're having ham, think of me. And just like when somebody died and you pour a little beer out, I want you to spit a piece of ham into a napkin for the man who will never eat ham on Easter and remember the saddest Easter story ever. There you go, Justin. What do you think of that? Sad, wasn't it? Tearjerker. <laughs> that was excellent. Very, it very, was... very good uh, storytelling by you. Definitely. No, I wasn't looking for that. I'm saying the whole thing. The whole thing's a nightmare. Oh, I was, I was uh, tearing up over here, feeling bad for nine-year-old you. Imagine coming downstairs, no Easter basket. Oh, and well, I'll let you all recover. Yeah. We got to do oh, this. Yeah. Then there's a, there's a few more minutes here on WTMJ nights. Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights. A couple more minutes after the news, it is 
Brewers Weekly with Dominic Catronio. Uh, if you are looking for something to do, if you're heading down to Chicago and you enjoy going to the theater, uh, I have a little recommendation. I got to see, normally when you go to the theater, there's a lot of big musicals, which are really good. I saw the other night, I got to see a drama which you don't get to see very often. It's called The Soldier's Play. And maybe you saw a movie called The Soldier's Story that came out uh, back in the 80s, and that had uh, Denzel Washington and uh, Harold Rollins and um, Adolph Caesar. Good movie. Well, this is the play that the movie is based on, A Soldier's Play. And it stars uh, Eugene Lee, who you may... You've seen him in a lot of different stuff. He was in Spike Lee movies. He's been on TV. He's Emmy, Grammy, Tony Award nominated. Uh, wonderful actor. The entire cast is great. It takes place in an army barracks in Louisiana in 1943. And it's all based around, one, the life of these African-American soldiers in the 40s waiting to go to see if they're going to be shipped over to get in the get in World War II. You know, they're they're here and things are things are difficult as you can imagine. Um the play begins, and this is not a spoiler, with their sergeant being killed. And then Sergeant Waters, who's played by Eugene Lee, is they refer to him as a colored officer, and he is. He's an attorney, and he comes. He's going to lead the investigation into what happened and who killed, um, who killed the sergeant, and was it somebody in the unit? Was it, as is thought, white townspeople? Was it white officers or white soldiers on the base? It's a really good character study. It's powerful. It's thought-provoking. It's my wife said I really liked it, but it was disturbing because it does make you think about all kinds of different stuff. It's only playing until the 16th of April at uh, the CIBC Theater in Chicago. If you happen to be going down there and you're looking for something a little more serious to see, if you like dramas and you like you like powerful character pieces, then a soldier's play is the thing for you. Everybody in the cast is phenomenal. It's uh, it's just a wonderful performance. You can go to broadwayinchicago.com to get your tickets. So do that. Well, listen, that's all. Thanks to uh, Tommy Wirtz for coming in. Uh, thank you, Justin, for all your help tonight. Thank you for listening and being part of the program. Have a lovely Easter weekend. I'll talk to you again Monday night right here on WTMJ Nights.